study here in just a moment. Our great God, Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to be here this evening. Thank you, Father, so much for the assembly of the saints. Thank you, God, so much for your grace and bringing us about as it is this hour. We know, Father, that there are people who are hurting and suffering and uh, going through hard times in their lives and laboring in difficult circumstances. We pray a special blessing upon all those, and especially, Father, the members of your household. We pray that we can be able to lift up their hands and be the comfort, Father, with which you comfort us. We're so thankful, Father, for your kindness and your compassion towards us. May we be diligent in showing that kindness and compassion to others, and may you be honored and glorified by how we live our lives. Father, as this evening, as we study about your word and as we study about inspiration, as we study about scripture, we pray, God, that you may open our eyes and may behold wonderful things from your word. We pray that we can be drawn near to your heart and uh, nearer to your will as we understand, Father, the, uh, the magnitude, the importance, and especially the awe-inspiring way in which you brought about your word so that each one of us can have it and study it and, uh, and follow it, Father, from here to eternity. Bless us as we study, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, as we talked about last week, and just to kind of give you a big picture uh, overview of where we were and where we're going, um, this class is going to cover several different aspects of how we got the Bible. Of course, in a 13-week quarter, 12-week quarter, if you're uh, counting the very last one being a devotional, in fact, I think we've actually got two devotionals this, uh, this quarter um, before Thanksgiving and uh, before the Christmas holiday. Um, but with 11 to 12 weeks uh, to cover this, I think you're going to notice that there's, we can't cover everything with regard to how we got the Bible, but uh, just the facts, ma'am, as Joe Friday used to say, that's where we're going and that's what we're going to do. So we begin by talking about Revelation Inspiration, which we're uh, continuing with this evening. Uh, we'll finish, or we'll then uh, continue to talking about the canon of Scripture. How do we know what uh, is an inspired book and what's not an inspired book? How did we put together the uh, 66 books that you have hopefully open there in your lap uh, and exclude others that, uh, that might have been um, uh, looked at and, uh, and thought of maybe by some as authoritative? How do we get these 66 is uh, ultimately that question. The transmission of that text, how that text came to us. And then ultimately, the translation that goes into our English Bibles. We'll talk a little bit about that at the very end of the quarter and, uh, and how you got the uh, English Standard, the New American Standard, the King James, uh, all of those different versions. Uh, we'll spend a little bit of time with those at the very end of the quarter. As we finished or talked about primarily last week, and this is a brief review, um, there are two important definitions that we need to get, and we're going to talk specifically about one of those this evening. You remember the first definition is revelation, that which God directly communicates to a prophet. Here's something that a man receives from God by the inspiration or by the Spirit of God to say this is who God is and this is what he wants you to know about him. That's called revelation. It is the message that God directly communicates to the prophet. Anybody want to take a venture as to what the other word is? Inspiration. Some of y'all were paying attention last week. That's excellent. The inspiration is when that prophet takes that revelation and he writes it down. He takes pen to paper and he writes down what God revealed to the prophet. So Moses, when Moses was shown or given the information that composes the book of Genesis, as Moses was given that by God, that was a revelation from God. Moses would have had no way to know that if God hadn't said, this is what the book of Genesis looks like. This is what happened at the very beginning. This is what happened in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Moses wasn't there. He wasn't sitting on a cloud observing the things that God was doing. What God gave him was exactly what Moses needed so that he could write Genesis 1, 2, and 3. 
as he took pen and put it to paper, that was then inspired. Moses took that inspiration, that written product that God first revealed to him and put it down on paper. Those two important definitions are the basis for which we are studying uh, and beginning the study about how we got our Bible. We've got to understand revelation. We've got to understand inspiration. Notice in Ephesians chapter 3, if you want to open up your Bible there, please, and uh, take a look at it with your own eyes. Ephesians chapter 3. This gives us both of these words in a context in which Paul is writing to the church about the church and talking to them about uh, what he's done. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, and we're looking at verses 3 through 5, which is kind of an aside to the point that Paul is making. As Paul writes this, Paul says, How by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I've already briefly written, by which when you read you may now understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it had not been revealed by the Spirit to his, to his holy apostles and to his prophets. In talking about the mystery of the Gentiles being part of the heir, heirs together with Paul and part of the church, the body, what Paul says joins together both of these words and these concepts. Paul says, how by what? Revelation, he made known to me the mystery. So that when you read, what is that? Inspiration. You may understand my knowledge. What is that? That's the revelation in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it's now been revealed uh, by the Spirit to his holy apostles and his prophets. God gives the message to the prophets and to the apostles. That's the revelation. The apostles and the prophets take pen and they put it to paper and that becomes the inspiration. All right? It's important that we understand those definitions and to get those right as we're uh, moving along. Flip over in your Bible, please, to Second uh, Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We'll see this here from another writer. Second Peter chapter 1 and look at verses 20 and 21. 2 Peter 1 verses 20 and 21. Peter says, knowing this first, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation is what the New King James says. The word is actually origin. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from, uh, from, any, uh, from any man. Prophecy is, as Peter's asserting here, the revelation of God to man. A prophet is one who receives that revelation. And Jesus received the revelation, but he didn't write anything, okay? And so what you find is as they wrote or as they received, they also wrote those divine revelations that are written down. We'll talk more about that here in just a moment, okay? One more, and this one's not up on the screen. Take a look at Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. I guess we should have done this back when we were back near Ephesians, but that's all right. Get our fingers to work out. Galatians chapter 1. Look at 10 and 11. Actually, 11 and 12, 11 and 12. Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Paul says, But I make known to you, brethren, that gospel which was preached to me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through what? 
revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I didn't go and I did it immediately after I was converted. When Ananias said, Saul, Saul, why are you waiting? Arise, be baptized, washing away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord, Acts 22, 16. Paul said, I didn't immediately after that get up and go to Jerusalem to figure out from Peter and the rest of the apostles how to be a good apostle. In fact, it was almost three years, you remember, before he actually went. And that's what he's going to affirm here in the book of Galatians. And so as Paul said, what happens is that Jesus gave me the gospel that I should preach. What is that? we've forgotten so soon. What is it that Paul would receive from, uh, as Paul received the gospel from Jesus, what do we call that? Revelation, thank you. And as Paul began to write, pen to paper, and write to the Galatians, what is this now? It's inspiration, exactly right. And what we're concerned with this evening is, what is scripture? All right, what is scripture? Back from 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, there's a word that's used for Scripture. No Scripture has ever come by private interpretation. No prophecy of Scripture is of a private interpretation. Where you see the word Scripture, there is this Greek word graphe, graphe, which just simply means to write, okay? And what we're talking about when we're talking about Scripture is what happens whenever God gives revelation and it's been written down. We would also say that Scripture is inspired, okay, because that's what happens with revelation whenever it's written down. So revelation from God that's been written down is known as Scripture, okay? Everybody following so far? Take a look at this in the Old Testament. Flip all the way back to the book of Exodus, please. The book of Exodus. And take a look at Exodus chapter 24 and verse 4. Exodus 24, verse 4. Roy, you have it? Would you read it please, nice and loud? All right, thank you for reading. Moses wrote how much of the words of the Lord? Moses wrote it all down. Okay? As Moses wrote it down, he's now transmitting for what's, or trans, changing what was given by revelation is now by inspiration. And what do we call that? What were the words he wrote down? It's up at the top of the page. It's scripture. That's exactly right. Flip over to the book of Isaiah and see this in a different context. The book of Isaiah, chapter 30. Book of Isaiah, look at chapter, uh, verses 8 and 9. God is pronouncing judgment against the beast of the south, against Egypt particularly. And as he says this, look at what he says, verse 8 and 9. Now go write it before them on a tablet and note it on a scroll that it may be for time to come forever and ever that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the word of the Lord. As Isaiah is writing this, God says what it's going to be is it's going to be a witness forever. All right? We're talking about this 800 years before Jesus. Now here we are 2,800 years removed from this. And what are we still reading about? 
We're still reading about the sins of Egypt and the judgment pronounced on Egypt, but we're reading about this in the pages of Scripture. That's exactly right. The pages of Scripture. Revelation became Scripture. Uh, since we're in the prophets, flip over to the book of Jeremiah. Take a look at the book of Jeremiah, and we're looking at chapter 34, verse 6. Jeremiah, uh, sorry, 36, verse 4. 36, verse 4. Jeremiah seemed like he had this scribe that was following, around him, uh, following him around in different contexts. Jeremiah had a scribe by the name of Baruch. Baruch. And notice in Jeremiah 36 and verse 4 what he does and uh, what Baruch does. Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll of the book an instruction of Jeremiah. All the words of who? All the words which he had spoken to him. You know, Paul used what we call an amanuensis, okay, kind of a writer that was Paul dictated. Uh, there were some that, uh, that wrote, and you remember uh, Sylvanus, I believe, was one of those, because he said, uh, uh, I, Sylvanus, who wrote this epistle, greet you. Well, did Sylvanus write it, or did Paul write it? The answer is yes. <laughs> Sylvanus was uh, taking dictation from Paul. Baruch took dictation from Jeremiah. Jeremiah dictated and said, this is what the word of the Lord is, and Baruch wrote it down. Uh, Paul would do that with his letters, and uh, a lot of people believe that Paul had poor eyesight, and that, uh, especially based upon what he says in the book of Galatians. But for whatever reason, people didn't accept not, uh, didn't not accept a, a book like um, uh, Galatians just because Paul himself didn't necessarily write it. However, Paul was right there, and they knew that it was authoritative based upon the one who sent it. Okay, um, all the way to the very end of the Bible. Take a look at the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation. And we're looking at Revelation chapter 1. As John, there on the island of Patmos, sees this vision of Jesus, notice what Jesus tells him to do. John says, I was in the spirit, this is verse 10 of chapter 1 of Revelation. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Who is that? All right, it's red letter. So who is it? Jesus, exactly right. And it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book. Send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. What John got from Jesus in the Revelation is Revelation. What John wrote on the page as he watched this divine drama unfold before him, beginning in Revelation chapter 4, was inspiration. And as he wrote it in the inspiration, what did it become? Inspired scripture. Jesus told John, write in the book what you see. All right? Everybody tracking so far? Still relatively uh, kind of self-explanatory. Ten Commandments, the Law of Moses, all those are prophecies of Scripture. Um, as the people said, you know, we will do what the Lord has said. They could look for generations and see, here's the word of the Lord written down. Here is divine writing or Scripture as we call it. Very good. Flip back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3.
Second Timothy chapter three, and we're looking at verses 16 and 17. What I have here on the screen is the English standard. You read it in your own translation. I'm gonna read from the New King James. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped unto every good work. Where you're going to have a whole lot of problems with people today accepting the authority of scripture, accepting that the scripture is completely inspired and that there is no error, okay? What you're going to use is a couple of different words that are probably all SAT. You call it the plenary verbal inspiration of the Bible. What that means is we believe that every single word of the Bible is inspired, that there is no inspiration or there is no place where Baruch decided to paraphrase what Jeremiah said. There's no place where Paul said, you know, God, I've got the gist of this revelation. I'm just going to go ahead and write it kind of as I, as I, as I feel like I'm going to write it. What people what today will assert is that there are the major doctrines of the Bible that are inspired, but all the little things, the little nuances and details, and maybe some of the things in history, well, those things aren't inspired, okay? That's what you're going to find in a lot of religious circles today, that they're going to try and accept all the major, uh, you know, triple A doctrines of the Bible, and the lesser things are not necessarily going to be inspired. Can anybody using our rational school of thought. Think about an issue or a problem with that line of thinking. What? All right, Doug asked a good question. Who's going to be the one that decides between a, again, triple A doctrine of the Bible and something that is a lesser doctrine of the Bible? In fact, if you're going to call the word of God important because God said it, which words of God are you going to say are less important than other words of God who said the same words? Or who is the living word there in John chapter 1 verse 1? Instead, what you have to do, because what's going to happen is people will begin to pick and choose what they choose to obey and what they choose to ignore. And when you have a situation like that, again, the question becomes, who's going to be the arbiter of biblical truth to be able to say, oh yeah, that thing about baptism, yeah, that's, that's not serious. Yeah, that doctrine about loving your neighbor, that's not, uh, that's not something you need to hold on to. The most important thing is you love God with your, all your heart. Because I begin to draw those judgments, I begin to make those statements, and I become the authority and the source for you know, what I can hold on to and what I can choose to ignore. What happens if we don't accept the plenary, plenary verbal inspiration of the Bible, that every single word is inspired, is that then we begin to take Jehoiakim's penknife and cut out different parts of it that we choose not to agree with. Whereas you take a passage, and this is one of the places that I start out with when we're talking about somebody like this, and you go to a place like 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and notice what the text says. All. The Greeks knew what the word all meant. Pasa. All. That means everything. Every part of it. All. Scripture. There's our word that we saw in uh, 1 Peter, or 2 Peter 1, verse 20. No prophecy of scripture ever came by private interpretation and no writing of scripture. All scripture that is divinely giving writing is theonoustos, is breathed out by God, inspired, that's the word. Theo, God, noustos, to be breathed. God breathed into uh, scripture just as if he's here talking to us this evening through his word. 
That's the idea. And scripture being from God that's been written down is affirmed here in the book of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 that says that there's not a single part of it that's not inspired. Okay? So lay that down as a foundation, as a basis to say God gave his word by revelation to his prophets. His prophets then faithfully transmitted that word onto paper, which became sacred scripture. And it's all inspired. Good? Anybody want to ask a question at this point? Anybody want to make a comment, an observation that they thought about at this point? 1001, 1002, 1003. All right. Let's talk just a little bit about graphe, about scripture. A revelation of God that's been written down. This word is going to occur some 51 times, particularly in the New Testament. We'll look at some of those here in just a minute. Okay? Graphe, writings, particularly scripture. What's interesting is, is that writing could be referring to a whole lot of different things, but every single one of those times that you're going to read it there on pages of the New Testament, it's going to refer to an inspired work. It's going to refer to an inspired work. There's not a single time that that word graphe is used in the New Testament where it's not talking about something inspired. This is important, especially when we begin to talk about the canonicity of the Bible. Remember I told you that there is a collection of the books that they know to be inspired. And what the, one of the major refutations of a book like um, the Gospel of Judas or the Gospel of Mary or the Gospel of Thomas, some of those uh, non-canonical books, those books that were excluded from the canon of the Bible, those books are never referred to as Scripture. Those other writings are never referred to as something that was given by God as revelation and then that prophet took it and wrote it down faithfully and then was called scripture. They never called them scripture. That's important for our, for our case and for us to understand. The Bible claims, ladies and gentlemen, that every single word is exactly what God wants it to be. And the product itself, scripture, is inspired. You know, it's not exactly the same as saying that it was written by inspired man. The Bible inspired means um, it's given by inspiration of God, that God breathed it just the way that he wanted it. And that's something important for us to remember. Anytime when the Bible says, Scripture says, it's quoting inspired books. For example, just take a look at these, a couple of these together, please, with me. Take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18. 1 Timothy chapter 5 should be there in 2 Timothy, so we're not, a, not too far of a jaunt. First Timothy 5, and start at 17, we'll pick up the context. Look at 17 and 18. Mr. Lonnie, you got it? You read out a nice loud voice, please. scriptural to pay an elder? Nod your head. It is, especially whenever he's talking about somebody that labors in preaching and teaching. I've known of congregations that have preachers that are also elders at the same time. And people say, no, that's a conflict of interest, not according to 1 Timothy chapter 5, 
right? It's exactly what he's talking about. It's a guy that's working, working, working. It's just like that ox treading out the grain. And you know, the ox could put his head down at any time and get a nice mouthful of grain. That's the idea of what he's giving here, right? So scripture doesn't uh, disallow it. And notice what he's going to say, verse 18. Verse 18 is a quotation. Anybody got a cross-reference for that in their Bible? Chain reference Bible, something like that. Where's he quoting from? Sorry. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 4. Okay? Deuteronomy 25 and verse 4. And notice what he calls it. Did you catch the word? We sometimes gloss right over it. He says, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. His quotation for Deuteronomy, he's affirming that here's what you've got in your possession when you open up the book of Deuteronomy. You've got scripture. And what do we call scripture? Inspired writing. Yes? Something that God fully had a hand in bringing about. And God did so faithfully. His writers did so faithfully. Not only is Deuteronomy scripture, but so also, just for understanding, flip back to the book of Luke. Hold your finger here in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and flip back to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 10, and look down at verse 7. Jesus is sending out the 70 to every city and the place where he was himself was about to go. He's preparing uh, the way so that they can uh, know whether or not you're going to have a receptive town. Jesus is sending these men out, and notice as he gives his instructions. Luke chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus says, you go into a house, you remain in that same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the, what does he say? Laborer is worthy of his wages. Now wait just a minute. That wasn't back in Deuteronomy. But if I go back to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 18, I do find that tag at the very end of the quotation from Deuteronomy, but who said the very last part of this, the laborer is worthy of his wages? Jesus. What Paul has just done here to Timothy, as he said, not only is Deuteronomy scripture, but what else is? What book did we just read from? Luke is scripture too. Does that make sense? Because if he says scripture says, quotation for Deuteronomy, and he's coupling them together, the labor is worthy for his wages, he's also equated the book of Luke with also being scripture, just as much as Deuteronomy is. Make sense? Everybody following? Y'all listen, either all of it's scripture or none of it is. You can't pick and choose what you choose to say. This is inspired writing and this is not inspired writing. All scripture is given by inspiration to God and is profitable. So you got to say all of it is or none of it is. Good? But notice how it's referring to now two different books, the book of Deuteronomy, book of Luke, and saying both of them are uh, our scripture. And again, never is a non-canonical book referred to as scripture. Take a look at 2 Thessalonians. Look at, look at another one. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. <coughs> Excuse me. Second <coughs> Timothy 2 in verse 15. Brother Clay, you got it? Can you read it nice and loud, please. 
All right, I like the way that reads, either by spoken word or by written words. Hold fast the, what does he say? Tradition. Now, we've got a lot of traditions. I've got a tradition that, uh, you know, I guess the day after uh, Thanksgiving, we begin to put up the Christmas tree and, you know, Catherine makes uh, donuts and hot apple cider as the kids are putting ornaments on the tree. I mean, it's just a family tradition, right? Is that inspired? Is that something that, uh, that we do as part of religious service? The answer is no. Well, what's he talking about tradition? Is he talking about two songs, a prayer, another song, Lord's Supper, another song, an offering? What's he saying? Okay, the traditions that the Bible talks about can be things that are just traditions of men. That's absolutely true. However, when Paul uses this word tradition, particularly in the book of Thessalonians, this is a word that has to do with the handing of a baton as in a relay race. Okay, here's Paul running as fast as he can, the rest of the apostles, as Steve would mention. And as he runs and he hands the baton off to the Thessalonian church, they grab that baton and they begin to carry it. Now, what does that baton consist of? What did he say there at the very last of First uh, Thessalonians 5, 15? It consists of the word of the apostles. And also, what else? The words they wrote, the epistle, the letter that he sent them. He says, these are the things that you are to hold on to. And you run faithfully holding on to that baton because... What the apostles spoke and what the apostles wrote was absolutely important. Sometimes the apostles would absolutely teach orally, but sometimes they would write it down. And as you find what they wrote down being applicable to all people in all generations, regardless if the Lord allows the earth to stand 2,000 more years, we're still going to need the same word from passages like Romans or 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians or any one of the inspired apostles, inspired works because that's the way God planned his word. He didn't plan for it to be obsolete after two, three, a thousand generations. It's still applicable because the hearts of men haven't changed. And as God faithfully revealed those things by revelation to his apostles, to his prophets, to the apostles, or to the uh, ones who wrote the Bible, and the ones who took that and put pen to paper, they were inspired, they wrote inspired words, and that became what we talk about, scripture, revelation from God that's been written down. With brief time we have remaining this evening, uh, well, let me stop there. Does anybody want to ask a question? Have an observation about this? Let's take a look then, because I don't feel like we'd be whipping a dead horse or belaboring the point if we looked at different illustrations or uh, instances where we can talk about the New Testament affirming or the Old Testament affirming what scripture is. Let's start out in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, please. If you'd like to ask a question or make a comment along the way, please do so. Romans chapter 4, Paul make an argument about justification and saying, wasn't Abraham justified? You say, well, yeah, absolutely. Well, was Abraham justified by his uh, obedience to the law of Moses? That's the exact question because there were some Jews there in the uh, church at Rome that were saying, oh yeah, he's got to be obedient to the law of Moses. Uh, these Christians have to be obedient to the law of Moses. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. Don't you know that Abraham was faithful to God? He was justified by his faith. 
even before the law of Moses or law of circumcision was ever given. And it says that verse uh, chapter 4, well, I'm going to spoil it because I'll you know, give you the joy of reading. Chapter 4, verse 3. Uh, Steve, you got it? All right. Where do we read about Abraham? Okay. Scripture, specifically. Specifically. Thank you, Ellis. <laughs> Where do we read about Abraham? We read about him in Genesis. What are the four great people of Genesis? Doing great? One more. Starts with a J, rhymes with smokes of... Joseph, that's right. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. I'm going to read about all four of those people there in the book of Genesis. And notice as Steve read just for a moment ago, Genesis chapter, Romans chapter 4, verse 3, what does the scripture say? What does that tell us about the book of Genesis? It's absolutely scripture. Genesis and Exodus are scripture. Well, why is that? Because he's going to mention that again in Exodus about Abraham and about his faith. Right? All right, what about another one? How about Acts chapter 8? Acts chapter 8, we're already pretty close here. Acts chapter 8, look at verses 32 through 35. Here's Philip running alongside this chariot in which an Ethiopian nobleman uh, from the court of Candace, is sitting there reading his, well, his Bible, if you will. And as he's reading, Philip says, you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I unless I gui uh, somebody guides me? He asked him to come up and sit with him. Look at verse 32. What is the very first line of verse 32? The passage in his spread, which was in the scripture, was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and a lamb before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Now, question. What Old Testament book is that from? It is from the book of Isaiah, and it absolutely is. Isaiah chapter 53. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you this. Of whom does this man, uh, this prophet, say this? Notice what he affirmed about Isaiah. Isaiah was a person who by revelation received what he received from God. He, by inspiration, wrote what he wrote about Jesus and has now uh, communicated this uh, to, um, uh, to this guy who's sitting here in this chariot. Philip opened, up, Philip opened his mouth, verse 35, and beginning of the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. All right? So there's something about Isaiah that 800 years before Jesus is writing about this person who would be born. That's an amazing, amazing proof of the Bible. Now, the fact that Isaiah was so able to pinpoint who Jesus is about so many details about his life and about his ministry, about how the prophets were able to do that. You know what happened in about 200 B.C., 200 years before Jesus? Even if you don't accept the inspiration of the Bible. You know, the Old Testament was done 200 years before Jesus ever walked on the earth. You know why? Because they got together in a place called Alexandria, Egypt. There were 70 Jewish scholars that wanted to translate the Bible, the Old Testament, into Greek. And they called it the Septuagint or the Septuagint, depending on what part of the country you're from. And as they translated the Old Testament scriptures, they codified everything that was going to be considered inspired. All of the books of the Old Testament were translated into Koine Greek, the common Greek of the day. 
That was done 200 years before Jesus ever lived on the earth. So even if you don't believe that Isaiah wrote this by inspiration some 800 years before he did, you've got to at least understand that he wrote it at least 200 years before Jesus ever lived. And as far as, you know, people who live in a country where we can't even tell what's the next year, two years are going to happen and who's going to be president in 2020, what's next, 2024, we don't know those things. But what Isaiah did in pinpointing the suffering servant is just, I mean, it's miraculous. There's, there's no other way to describe it. It's only done by the hand of God, and that's a wonderful thing to base faith upon, is that inspiration, that evidence that he knew what he was talking about. All right. How are we doing? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. That is a good question. Um, the question is, is that uh, James chapter 2, I believe, is that where you're looking? Yeah, James chapter 2, verse 23. The scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him to righteousness. Um, and he was called a friend of God. James is widely regarded as to be the oldest uh, New Testament epistle. There's a couple of reasons why. is because as James wrote, there is no... Um, there's no disagreement or no conflict that James is having to deal with about Jew and Gentile. Like Paul has to do in so many of his epistles where he just has to mention Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles, y'all need to get along. Don't, you know, don't be you know, mean to each other. There's none of that in the book of James, which a lot of people have uh, led them to believe that James is the oldest, oldest New Testament epistle, the oldest New Testament letter. It's just general as far as basic Christian living, the, basic, the fact that it comes uh, in James chapter 1 to the, uh, to the Jews of the dispersion or the Jewish dispersion, to the one, 12 tribes that are scattered abroad, greetings, he says. There's a lot of people that just believe that, again, this was just written specifically to Jewish Christian audience based upon it being old enough. The question being is, does the book of what it says there in Romans justify the book of James also being scripture? I wouldn't necessarily say that, but both of them affirming the fact that Genesis is scripture is yes. Okay? Um, yeah, I'm going to leave it there just for right now because um, what we're also going to find is Peter justifies and validates Paul based upon the writings of Paul being scripture. And so if you were going to do that, I would start with Peter uh, there in 2 Peter chapter 3 where he says, um, you know, where Paul writes scripture and some twist to their own destruction. We'll look at that one here in just a minute. It's a good question. Let me think about that. But uh, yeah, that's great. Very good. Anybody else? All right. Uh, take a look at Matthew 21. Matthew 21. Matthew 21, down in verse 18. And Matthew loves to quote from the Old Testament. He remember, he's trying to convince a Jewish audience that their Messiah is here. Matthew 21 and verse, uh, actually verse 16, verse 16. Am I in the right place? He said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, yes, if you never read out of the mouth of nursing babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Speaking specifically about this, he's talking about Psalm 8 being inspired, Psalm 8 being scripture. Um, 
kind of look to see where if I uh, made a wrong marker with regard to that. But uh, yeah, there's a spot in there where it talks about. Uh, oh, there it is. Uh, Psalm Matthew 21 verse 42. Matthew 21 42. Jesus said to them, "Have you never read in these scriptures?" This is from Psalm 118. The stone which the building the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Couple of verses down from this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 118, verse 24. This is verse uh, 22 and 23, the verses right before that. Um, this is one of the greatest places to go at the end of the book of Luke. Look at Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. After the resurrection of Jesus, he meets two of his disciples there on the road to Emmaus, and you remember that the disciples uh, didn't recognize him. And as Jesus is walking along beside him, they're telling him all the horrible, horrible things that have gone on in, uh, in the, uh, the last several days. And in Matthew 24, or Luke 24 rather, sorry if I said Matthew, verse 27, he says, beginning at Moses and the prophets, this is to his apostles, he expounded to them all things in the scriptures concerning himself. What do we know? broadly about Moses and about the prophets. We're talking about when we say Moses, particularly Law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, known as the Torah. Yeah? Moses, the Law of Moses is what? What's our word? Scripture. It's inspired scripture. Exactly. What about the prophets? Scripture as well. That's absolutely true. Look down at verse 45. Verse 44 and 45, Jesus said, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend what? Now, in context, what are the scriptures? What did he just say in verse 44? Law of Moses, the prophets, and also the Psalms. You know what that encompasses? In a Jewish mind, that's the entirety of the Old Testament. Jesus said, this is scripture. This is something in which you can build your life on. And one more, and we are all done. Thank y'all for hanging with me and turning in all your Bibles. Flip over to 2 Peter chapter 3, as I mentioned to Catherine just a moment ago. 2 Peter chapter 3. One point to make is just because a particular book is not said to be scripture does not necessarily make it not scripture. Okay? Uh, again, based upon Catherine's question a while ago, just because uh, Paul doesn't say, oh, by the way, James says, quoting from Genesis, that Abraham believed God and it was accounted him for righteousness, doesn't not mean that, or doesn't mean that James is not inspired. Okay? Is that enough double negatives for you? One last, Second uh, Peter chapter 3, and look at verse 16. Peter's concluding his epistle, trying to remind these Christians of these things. And he says, also in all his epistles, speaking to these things, which some things are hard to understand. Who's he talking about? Well, verse 15 picks it up, and he says, our beloved brother Paul's written wisdom. And he says, uh, he's written some things hard to understand, which untaught uh, and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do the rest of Scripture. Now, what has Peter just done? He has taken the Apostle Paul and said, here's Paul writing 
scripture that's no less authoritative than anything else that you've read that you already expect as something that came down from God by revelation and was given by inspiration, written down, and has become authoritative writing that speaks the word of God. Hey, everybody understands. We're doing all right. Very good. We are out of time. Thank you all for hanging with me tonight. And if you have specific questions or anything that we can talk about uh, at the beginning of the next class, please let me know. You all have done a tremendous job. And uh, we are just, yes, ma'am, already.